welcome to the Bad Esteem Podcast. It's Vanessa here. You know we're having courageous conversations about love, sex, and everything in between. And today we are talking to Sanhara Eastman. She is a playwright, a TV writer, a screenwriter, and she created this amazing, amazing, amazing um, YouTube series that I stumbled upon called Black Girl's Guide to Fertility. Hey, Sanhara, how are you? Hey, how are you? Thanks for <laughs> having me. Okay. Thank you for coming on. I so appreciate you making the time to be on with us. No worries. No worries. I'm excited. Yay. Awesome. <laughs> All right. So let's just jump right into it. Tell us about yourself. How did you get started and interested in your work? Sure. I'm a writer. Mm-hmm. Um, and I got started really just um, meeting other people in the entertainment business. And I was like, hey, you know, I want to write. You know, what should I do? And mm-hmm. um, another producer that I met, she encouraged me to um, just start working on productions. She's like, everyone wants to be a writer. Everyone has an idea. What you really need to do is just start working on productions and get yourself out there. Uh, so that's what I started doing. I'm from New York originally. Mm-hmm. So I primarily was working in New York, uh, Philly area, and then I moved to Atlanta um, continue working in production there. Um, and now I'm doing my own projects, um, which is how Black Girls Got Activity came about. Yay! I love it. So I think I stumbled upon the series, um, like a few months ago, like, yeah, a few months ago. And I was like, Oh my God, like what? I love the, I think what what attracted me, of course, was like the graphics that I saw that popped up on like Instagram and Facebook. And so, I, you know, started watching it. I absolutely loved it. And I think it's a conversation that a lot of us aren't having. Um, And I just think it's a conversation that some of us are scared to have. I know for me, I'm Mm -hmm. 32. I'm 32 years old. Um, I've -hmm. been married for eight years. And of -hmm. course, like once I hit like, of course, once I hit 30, I mean, all throughout. But once I hit 30, my mom started being like, hi, what? What's going on? What you doing? What you doing there? Yeah. And me personally, I don't feel like I'm ready to, you know, have a kid. But I think sometimes what comes up for me, if I'm like really honest, is because I feel like with a lot of the conversations that we're having and um, the lack of conversations that we're having, just sometimes like the shame or the persistent ask even when you know that you're Mm -hmm. not ready and nothing's wrong I think Mm -hmm. things like you know comments like oh you should try just in case or you don't know what's gonna happen or like my mom's favorite Mm -hmm. why don't you just try and see and I'm like okay if I if I get pregnant I can't give it back so uh (laughs) (laughs) exactly exactly like I'm not ready yet like just pump the brakes <laughs> but I think sometimes, yeah, I think sometimes when I, when I think about it, I'm like, oh my gosh, but like, what if there is a issue or like, what if I get to a point where I'm like, actually, I really want to have a baby like right now. And I can't like all of that yeah. mental gymnastics that happens. So when I saw mm-hmm. the series, it started making me just like ask questions. And I've always really been aware of you know the kinds of conversations that we have around fertility because I really hate Mm -hmm. them um I've never Mm -hmm. actually tried to have a baby personally but I know for friends who you know wanted a baby and you know they've had miscarriage or yeah you know it's just like getting really it was difficult for them because of different medical issues 
I felt like a lot of the questions that we ask people like off break is, are just really invasive. Like, oh, you're married. Yeah. When, what do you guys have kids? Mm-hmm. Oh, you're married. When are you going to have a baby? Exactly. Or like, <laughs> oh, you're getting up there. And I just feel like once you get to a certain age, everything or a certain status in your life, everything starts revolving around like, basically, are you having sex or not? Like, exactly. <laughs> What's going on? We want to know answers exactly, right now. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So why did you create this series and why did you think this is an important conversation to have? Pretty much from things like you're talking about, Mm -hmm. um, after I got married, it was like immediately, like we had gotten married like that day and it was like, oh, when you guys going to have kids? (laughs) Um, and it's like, okay, like, can we have a moment to even process this moment? Right. Um, and then eventually like as the year went on, like we weren't getting pregnant, like we thought it was going to be easy thing, we weren't getting pregnant. Mm -hmm. And the doctor's like, you know, we don't see anything wrong. Let's just start with like minor things like Clomid. Uh, Clomid is a, a drug that you can take that will increase your chances of ovulation. Mm. Um, I was already ovulating on my own, but my doctor at the time felt like this would just, you know, boost those chances. Mm-hmm. And so we did that for a couple months that didn't work. And then she was like, after the year, like, hey, maybe you guys need to go see a fertility specialist. Mm. And so that's how that whole thing came about. And just being with uh, the fertility fertility clinic that I've been with for basically the past five, almost six years, Mm. and just living in that silence and being in the doctor's office and wanting to talk to people and people don't want to talk to you, (laughs) you know, because it's like this whole shame factor. Right. But you're like, hell, I want to talk to somebody. But then also once you leave the doctor, you're going to family outings and, you know, holidays and people Mm. are constantly asking you, oh, when are you going to have children? Are you getting any younger? Meanwhile, you've been, you know, injecting yourself with hormones. You know, Mm. you've heard no after no after no after no. And so it just comes to a point where you reach a breaking point. Um, and my breaking point was just like, if someone else asks me one more question, I'm going to lose it on them. <laughs> you know, my my husband was like, you know, that's not the right approach. You should just tell people. And I'm like, no, I I don't want to tell people. It's not your business. And eventually, yeah, exactly. Yeah. But eventually that's what ended up happening. Um, we ended up telling people. And it was like just our immediate family. Mm-hmm. Um, and after that, it became a thing where people were more sensitive, more supportive to people they knew. Um, but I also feel like it shouldn't have had to come down to that being bombarded with questions every time you go somewhere. And so for me, like, I'm very careful about questions now that I ask people, I think about it twice because I know how hurtful it was for me just, you know, especially within the second and third year when people just kept asking me all these questions, I just felt like crying, like, why don't they just leave me alone? Yeah. You know, um, so you just go through, like, these different um, things, emotions in your mind and how you feel about it. And I realized I didn't have anyone to talk to, even though though at that point I did have family that was supportive of me. They were not going through what I was going through. And so I was just like, I'm going to write about this. Mm. Um, And so I did. Yeah, I, I started writing about it in grad school still under the umbrella of this is in me. You know, I know people who are dealing with this, but this right. is in me. Right, right, right. Because <laughs> um, I didn't want anybody in my uh, class and my professors to know it was me. Um, and then, like, a year after that, I was just like, you know what? I'm just going to, you know, 
do a podcast. I'm going to shoot this web series. Right. And at this point, people are going to know that it's me. Like my friends who I hadn't told are going to know, <laughs> oh, she has a fertility problem. Right. You know, because they would ask me when I would see them. Hey, so what's going on? You guys having a baby? And I'll make up excuses like, oh, you know, well, I don't want my feet to get big. Or like, I would just say something <laughs> stupid. You know, it didn't really make any sense because I just didn't really know what to say. Right. Um, but yeah, so essentially that's how the series came about, which is me going through this process and not having anyone to talk to mm. and just feeling like, oh my God, if I'm going through this, I can't imagine what other people are going through too. Yeah. They must be dealing with it in silence as well. Absolutely. And you know, it's, it's, it's like we're surrounded by the questions and I feel like single, married, already got a baby, already got three mm-hmm. babies. People stay asking the same question. And, mm-hmm. and, exactly. it's, and it's funny because uh, one of my family members, every time I would, I, I post a lot, I would post a lot on my Facebook about, you know, just the questions that people would ask. Like I was riding the bus one time and this lady sitting behind me was just like, oh, hey, I see your ring. How many kids do you have? And I'm like, people ain't got conversational. Like, (laughs) so I posted about it. I was like, people literally, like, that's what's happened to our society. People do not know how to start conversations with people. Like, what do you want to know? Why? What? what? Exactly. (laughs) And, And almost saying it to, like, the point of you don't have any value if you don't have children. Right. And like, oh, you don't have kids? And it's like, no, I don't. Exactly. <laughs> like, is that okay with you? Right. <laughs> is that okay with you, stranger or person that's not going to contribute to taking care of a baby if I have one? Like, <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so it's just, you know, that's what I feel like women value. I don't have children. I have friends who are not married, so you know, they're sad about that. You know, if you don't have children, then, you know, less value was placed on you but I'm like no like you're you're more than valuable right just because the world doesn't see it that way (laughs) and they feel like you should have all these ducks in a row that's their problem right I just I'm like I, I started when I started posting like yeah family members would be like oh is this about you are we asking too much I'm like no I'm just I'm just telling y'all, like, this shit's an- it's annoying, it's ridiculous, yeah. and it's like, one, it's an invasion, it's an invasion, you don't know what people are mm-hmm. going through, you don't know what people are, you don't know if people just are like, yo, I don't want to have kids, what do you say to that, exactly. like, <laughs> what if I looked at you and was like, every t- and even, mm-hmm. even now when people ask me, and I'm like, oh, I'm unsure, I get the, oh, I mean... Like what? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like my whole destiny is I'm sure tied. I'm sure there's a lot of questions that come after that. That's the thing. Like, like what? I so don't why? Even, why? I, right. And I just don't <laughs> think that. I think like people lack, and it's funny because my mom will always be like, "That's the way that people try and like start conversations." I'm like, there are so many other ways to start other conversations exactly. with people that Trust don't me. right that don't involve knowing <laughs> about my personal bedroom business. Or or exactly. me having a lecture with you about me wanting to or not wanting to and how old am I and all of these things. So it's just exactly. so invasive. Your business. <laughs> and I feel like men don't ever get that question. I feel like in the time that I've been married, right. my husband has never, like people will ask him, like, do you have kids? And they'll be like, oh, all right. And it's mm-hmm. like, oh, okay. <laughs> it's, always, it's always placed on the woman. Everything's placed on the woman. <laughs> 
So why do you think there's, yeah, it's just ridiculous. Why do you think there's so much shame and stigma associated with infertility? I just think culturally, like, we are looked at as producers. Like, mm. we are supposed to produce. Like, our bodies are supposed to produce. And when that doesn't happen, then we look at ourselves as, oh, my God, there must be something wrong with us. Right. So we must be broken. But if you actually, well, I can speak for my own family, once I started going to this and I started asking people questions, mm-hmm. like, hey, well, do you know of anybody else who's going through this? And like, oh, well, I don't know. I know there was someone, there was a cousin one time. Right. And they did adopt a kid. And I know such and such had fibroids and they couldn't have kids. So there are things that are going on in different people's family, mm-hmm. but no one talks about it. So you would never think okay, well, my aunt had fertility issues or one of my distant cousins had fertility issues because they keep it to themselves. Mm. So when you're dealing with that shame, you feel like I'm the only person. I'm the only person in my family that's gone through this. I'm the only person who's dealing with this, you know, versus, you know, I've had white friends who they openly talk about this. They talk Mm. about it at dinner tables. They have conversations about Mm. it. Like, as soon as they're going to their first fertility appointment, everybody knows. (laughs) (laughs) And we don't do that. Like, you know, even for me, I didn't tell anyone until I was almost two years in Mm. to do fertility treatments. Like, I was, like, secretly going to the doctor. Right. Nobody knew what I was doing. Right. (laughs) You know? Um, And I think it's just that big shame factor of we don't, have anyone else specifically to relate to yeah so we feel like oh we have to keep this to ourselves because no one else in our family has dealt with this Mm -hmm. and I was so glad this year when uh, Michelle Obama came out and Gabrielle Union came out Mm -hmm. and shared their stories because these are women you know who you feel like are accomplished and who've done certain things in their life Mm -hmm. and now they're telling their story to normalize it right you know so even if no one in your family ever talks about it you know, two people that have talked about it. So, you know, you're not by yourself. <laughs> Absolutely. So you talked about fertility treatments. What does that look like? I know you're not a doctor, <laughs> but, yeah. um, but like so, on a, on a, on the basis that you can tell us, what, what does that look mm-hmm. like? What does that feel like? When it's costly, that's the first thing. Mm. So we've done, we've done two things. We've done IUIs, which is intrauterine insemination. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the cheaper uh, version mm-hmm. of uh, infertility where they just take your husband's sperm and they insert it into your cervix. They use like a catheter. They okay. insert it into the cervix, um, which is supposed to increase your chances. Mm-hmm. And so we've done, uh, we stopped counting. We did so many of those and none of them worked. Oh. Um, and so those are like 1500 uh, a pop for each one of those. Um, and then IVF, you're looking at $20,000 for IVF. Um, so, so, $20,000. <laughs> for one cycle? So luckily for us, uh-huh. when we started our IVF, they included a year. Okay. Um, because at the time, our fertility clinic was privately owned. Okay. So not privately owned anymore. Okay. So I know someone else who now is going to that clinic and like they're, you know, like, hey, we got one shot. That's it. And I'm like, wait, what's going on? They changed your policy? Golly. So most clinics apparently do that. So most clinics apparently is just a one shot deal. You pay your $20,000. That's it. 
we had a year of trying okay. with our IVF, which even within a year, there's only so many you can do because you have a turnaround time. Gotcha. They put you on birth control. They take you off. They start giving you hormones. They want to regulate your cycle. Okay. Basically control it. So on average, I would say roughly you're probably looking at about, you know, 90-day turnaround before you can do a cycle. And then they also encourage you, at least my doctor did, to take a break within that time period because you're giving yourself hormones for right. extended period of time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, $20,000 basically per cycle. Um, for us, when we first started it, we were under a deal where we could do it for a year, but that no longer exists with the clinic that we go to. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, $20,000 per try. Um, and so we, we've done both. Like for the IUIs, we kind of paid out of pocket. For IVS, we took out loans. Um, and I realized not everyone is in a position to take out a loan mm-hmm. because I was trying to help another do it. Well, you can also get a loan from such and such or go to your credit union. Um, and so I know for me, sometimes you take for granted that you're in a position to take out a loan, but not everyone can get a loan. Right. So that puts you in a whole other category of I want to have a child, but I can't even get a loan to make that happen. Oh, um, and right. then you find out in other countries, this is free. <laughs> right. And, and we're and we're basically robbing people to pay Paul to start family. To start a family. My goodness. Yeah. And just for everyone out there. So we have the IUI is where they put these, they place the sperm in the uterus, also known as uh, artificial insemination, correct? Yes. And yes, then correct. in vitro fertilization is where they combine the eggs and the sperm outside of the body and then they insert into the body. And then they insert it. Yeah. And in vitro is much more complicated because even before you go through that process, they have to retrieve your eggs first. You know, some women, even if they're not doing IVF, they will do egg retrieval so mm-hmm. they can freeze their eggs. That's mm-hmm. essentially the process you have to go through if you're doing IVF. You have to do an egg retrieval. So they put your hormones for that. Mm-hmm. to retrieve your eggs first so that they can actually insert the sperm into the egg right. and fertilize them. And they do all that there in the lab. Um, yeah, it's, it's a pretty detailed process. And so you're on and you're off hormones and injections all the time right? Um, to, make, to make all that stuff happen. So how, how would you rate, I know it's invasive, how about the pain? Mm-hmm. Is there pain, a lot of pain associated? I would assume, like, going through um, the uterus? No, there was, there was no pain really associated with the IUI. Uh-huh. Like, you know, when they insert the cramping every now and then, you do. With the IVF, um, for me, it wasn't painful. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, let me take that back. For the IVF, they do something called the endometrial scratch, where they actually scratch your uterus. Oh, I'm dead. I can't. Oh, no. That mm-hmm. that hurts. Like, one time I passed out in the doctor's office. God. Yes. That hurts. That hurts, like, beyond. My goodness. And they tell you to take two Tylenol before you get there. And I, I did all that, but I guess it was one day. I don't know. I was rushing. I didn't eat anything that day. Ooh. And I literally, I passed out in the doctor's office. God. Uh, <laughs> oh, my goodness. Which is pretty embarrassing. So um, that is painful. Yeah. And then giving yourself injections. Yeah. Because I travel, my husband travels, and obviously it's easy for him to give me an injection. It still hurts because right. I don't like needles. And <laughs> the injections go basically in your butt right. pretty much. Oh. And your muscles and your behind. Mm-hmm. Um, so you, I don't know, I don't like needles. And then giving myself a shot every night, it, yeah, it hurts. And you have to rotate between the left and the right. 
And so even with giving yourself the hormones yeah. after time, you know, your skin can become kind of hardened. Oh, wow. So, so okay. you have to massage it and all that stuff. So I still have, like, bruises, like, right. on my, you know, just from giving myself injections. And on the left side, it's still sore, oh. you know. So mm-hmm. that would be, like, the most painful thing, giving yourself the injections. every. You have to do it every single night. Right. Um, although you're supposed to rotate to, you know, kind of take off the pressure from injecting in the same area. Right. You're still doing it for an extended period of time. Right. right. Um, and if you're doing it, in my case, we've been doing fertility treatments for several years, mm-hmm. you know, you're going to have some pain, some soreness. Gotcha. Um, but those are the two major things. The injection, mm-hmm. giving yourself injections, to me, that hurts because I don't like needles. Um, and the endometrial scratch, that hurts mm. to me. So besides the physical pain, I mean, I can, I can, I can... I can't imagine the emotions that go with this. How do you find support and how do you and your partner like stay connected and stay light and make sure that you guys are taking care of yourself mentally while you're going through this process? You know, it's hard. Um, And especially in the beginning, like I don't think we really were coping with it, you know, because I was diagnosed with a fertility issue, mm-hmm. which was PCOS, and mm. my husband has three adult children. Mm. And so he got a vasectomy in his early 20s. He was like 22, and he was in the <laughs> Army. He got a vasectomy. He was like, I'm cool. he had his kids back, back to back. Right. Yeah, and he told the doctor in the Army, like, hey, I have three kids already. I don't want any more kids. Right. And the doctor was like, are you sure? He said, yes. Yeah. Fast forward, like 20 years later, he meets me. He gets a reverse vasectomy, but when he does that, his motility is low. And the motility is like the rate in which your sperm moves. Mm-hmm. So he had a fertility issue. I was diagnosed with a fertility issue. Mm-hmm. And so for for him, it was just like, well, I want you to have children, so we're just going to use someone else's sperm. And I'm like, we're not using someone else's sperm. So like, we get into arguments about that. And I'm just like, I'm not going to use a strange person's sperm. Like, we're married. Like, it doesn't make any sense. Mm. And so... Additionally, we get into arguments about that, and then I started talking to my therapist about it because yeah. even though I was going to therapy, like I'm a black person who goes to therapy. Yes, uh, right. We <laughs> love I that. Was going to therapy. <laughs> yeah, like I, I think it's needed. Um, even though I was going to therapy, I wasn't talking about this situation with the therapist because again, I was something I was just holding close to my chest. Mm. Like, well, I don't want her to know either. Right. And then eventually, like, you know, I started telling her, so that really helped because I feel like I can just dump this off of me and kind of put it on someone else's plate, essentially. Um, So that helped going to therapy and talking about it and trying to come up with a plan and also, you know, coming up with a plan to take breaks. Yeah. You know, when you can't. You can't go to the doctor, you know, every other month and do this. There's a time when you take a mental break where you could go take a vacation or do something for yourself or go buy something for yourself that you wouldn't be able to buy because you're doing fertility treatments. Um, mm-hmm. So I like you doing doing those things. And, of course, you know, I, I'm a person of faith. I believe in God. And mm-hmm. so I pray, you know, I go to church and I always have people who will encourage me, mm-hmm. you know, who will, you know, tell me, you know, it's going to be all right, you know, I'm praying for you. And so things like that, 
you know, help me and help to push me past even days I'm feeling sad. Mm. Um, and those major days are like holidays, mm. you know, Christmas, Thanksgiving, mm-hmm. where, you know, some people are still going to ask you questions, although they know you got a podcast, you know, you got all this stuff out there. <laughs> They're still going to ask you questions about, you know, what are you doing? Even though Google is children. free and they can read yeah. it for themselves? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and I can give them just like a blank stare and they're like, Hmm, really? Um, <laughs> and of course, like Mother's Day, it just passed, yeah. you know, because it's just a reminder for people. And I have friends whose mothers have passed away, so right. like they're sad, you know. And then you have people, obviously, who are trying, who are in a struggle, trying to have children, so they're sad. Yeah. And so there's so much emphasis placed on these days right. where, you know, you go through the ups and downs emotionally, like, you know, oh my God, like now I've got to deal with this. Now I have to deal with this stress. So, um, yeah, I would just say going to therapy, you know, talking to my husband, taking breaks, us doing things together that does not include us talking about children. Yes. (laughs) Like, we'll be like, we're going to dinner tonight and we're not going to talk about kids at all. We're not going to talk about any of this stuff. We're just going to talk about everything except for that. Yeah. And so there will be days, you know, or sometimes even weeks where we'll be like, okay, this is our rule. We're not even going to talk about any of that stuff yeah. until such and such a date. Um, and then, of course, praying, you know, praying about it, you know, which, you know, gives me peace of mind and people praying for me. How do you keep, how do you keep, I guess, not to be too invasive, how do you keep sex from being a chore? Like, like, I feel like some, some, <laughs> like friends that I know that are mm-hmm. trying, they're like, all right, we got to do it now. And then it ends up turning the mm-hmm. experience into like, a, like, I don't even want to do it no more because no it's, like, it. yeah, <laughs> it's exactly. not fun. Definitely. I feel like that was the biggest problem I would say within the first three years, mm-hmm. you know, because especially for him, you know, right. because he's like, well, when I was, you know, 19, 20, 21, like. <laughs> I didn't have any problems, you know, getting anybody pregnant. Like, I had my kids back to back to back. <laughs> right, exactly. And so it was kind of like, every month, like, you're pregnant, you're pregnant. I'm like, no, I'm not. And then he started downloading all the apps and all the stuff. So, right. And then we started getting basal bites and mommies, all this crazy stuff. Yeah. You know, all these things I would do before I even got out of bed. So it became a thing of, oh, we have to do all this stuff. And now we have to time sex. Now it has to be robotic and that definitely went on for like three years Mm. off and on and it came to the point where like no we're not doing this anymore Mm. we're not we're not gonna be timing sex on a day that you're ovulating yeah and you trying to rush home or me trying to rush home and you know it just becomes to a point where it gets too crazy and you just have to pump the brakes right and so definitely I feel like the first three years was more that where we were you know, obviously, you know, we wanted to be connected, you know, we wanted to be intimate, but then it's like, we're still on a time clock. Okay, well, we got to have apps going off. We got to do it right now. Right. <laughs> like, let's go, let's move. And right. it, it takes away from the moment. It takes away from, you know, you really having the proper intimacy with your spouse because right. in your mind, all you're focused on is getting pregnant. Right. Um, right. And so we, we stopped doing that yeah. because we're like, this is too much. 
we're not going to do it anymore. And of course, in our minds anyway, we're like, well, we're probably not going to get pregnant anyway. Mm. You've got a problem. I got a problem. So now we're just in dry <laughs> And like one year we went on a trip to Mexico. Like we're going to Mexico yes. like to get these apps. So we erased everything. Love. Like I do. I do have the basal body thermometer. I used to have the ovulation test kits. I'm like trash. You know, I used to have my little pee cups that I had to stick the um, ovulation test kits yeah. in trash. Like, no, we're not even doing this anymore. We're just going to enjoy life and, like, whatever happens, (laughs) happens. Right. But, yeah, it can definitely get robotic if that's all you're focused on. So it has to come to a point where you say, okay, this isn't working. We can't can't do this. (laughs) We can't do this this way. Yeah. (laughs) So are you currently still doing treatments? And do you think there's a time that you're going to be like, okay, I'm going to stop and or look at other options um to have children yes we're still doing treatment mm-hmm. and i don't feel um that i'll probably ever stop gotcha <laughs> only because we have a lot of embryos frozen mm-hmm. um so when we did it when i did my egg retrieval um i had the second highest number of eggs retrieved at their clinic Damn. i like 37 eggs retrieved oh wow um yeah, and so we're not going to stop until <laughs> not <laughs> like we've exhausted our embryo. Yeah, but I also I also want to adopt as well. Gotcha. Um, okay, but everything costs, and so that's the other part of it. I have two people that I know that have adopted. You have to pay for adoption too, which is very costly. Right, um, and from what I'm told, it can be twenty thousand dollars plus. And so right now, because we've invested our money into yeah. fertility treatments, that it's kind of like, well, we just need to stick with this road first and yeah. exhaust us yeah, and then, money <laughs> before we jump into, you know, imagine. what we're going to do next. Yeah. But either way, at some point in my life, I will end up adopting right. um, just because my mom used to work in foster care yeah. and, and I saw so many children just like suffering who didn't have parents and I know foster care is different from private adoption yeah. but I know there are so many children out there who deserve Absolutely. to have a better home Absolutely. And, and they don't ever get that opportunity right. um, so I, I know that's somewhere on my journey that that is going to happen yeah. um, one day um, I just personally don't want to spend the 20 something thousand dollars uh, yeah. on doing that right now. I get it. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, and that bothers me too. I'm like, well, if someone doesn't really want their child, why do I have to pay $20,000 right. to go? But it's just it's like, a lot of it's, money. It's the whole money, money making thing. And I'm not saying that people are just potentially trying to make money, but it is definitely a money making investment yeah. uh, thing in the United States. It's big business. Yeah. <laughs> you know, which, yeah. Is, which is sad. Right. Absolutely. And I think so. I I feel like we've like you said, we have Michelle Obama as like famous people. We have Gabrielle Union and not not she's not black. But I noticed Mm -hmm. something that Kim Kim Kardashian did. She Mm -hmm. I forgot her. I forgot what happened on her journey. I think it was something with like her fallopian tubes or a uterus where now they have surrogates. Would it ever, I don't, I, and I don't know, I am not, I have not done all my homework on fertility treatments, but is there a way to have, use your embryo and your, your, your husband's sperm and your eggs? Yeah. Okay. 
Okay. You can. That just, surrogates cost, and I have someone, someone else who's going through this process right now. <laughs> yeah. And she's paying $100,000. $100, Lord, okay. All of these numbers you've been throwing uh, at me. $100,000 she's paying um, because apparently she had a hysterectomy, well, a myomectomy, which uh-huh. I guess is where they take everything except for your uterus. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But um, she's going through the process of, um, of, going through with a surrogate, $100,000. You're not lying about that damn investment. Golly. Yeah, $100,000. That's, a, so that's you, a lot of money. You can, if you can afford a surrogate, and, you know, I watch one reality show with my guilty pleasure with The Real Housewives of Atlanta, and yeah. I think last season Candy was talking about going through with a surrogate. Yeah. Um, and obviously, you know, she has money, so she can get a surrogate uh, and, and pay for it easily. But, you know, she's another one who talked about, you know, fertility issues. And I forget if she has, like, endometriosis mm-hmm, or something mm-hmm. like that. I forget mm-hmm. what exactly um, her issue was. But she didn't want to go through with another surgery. And she was like, you know, it's too much on her body. I can um, imagine. But she still had embryos left. And so they're, as far as I know, still moving forward with a surrogate. So, yeah, it oh. just comes down to dollars and cents. <laughs> if you have $100,000 to pay for a surrogate, then, you know, that's definitely an option. Yeah, mm-hmm. this is a, you're right, this is a, uh, It's. I don't want to say industry, but this is a process. I'm going to say a process of <laughs> folks with means or folks who can get, like you're yeah. saying, folks who can get loans or, God, mm-hmm. that, mm. It's big business. I can't. I, I don't even know where if I don't even know where I would get that type of money. It's so ridiculous. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Oh my god! <laughs> the average person wouldn't, you know. Um, and the person that I spoke of who's going through the surrogate, she has a lot of people that are helping her. Like her family is trying to donate money, and you know she's trying to take out loans. Like she's trying to pull from everywhere to make it happen. Yeah. So. Oh my goodness. So I know we're, we're coming down on our time, but I wanted to ask you a couple more questions. Um, sure. For, if we have any listeners out there who are, you know, starting, you know, to try and have a baby and it's taking a while, how do you, what do you think they should know? How should they advocate for themselves um, with their providers? First thing I tell people is not to give up. Mm-hmm. Um, second thing I tell them is to go to the doctor. Uh, because I have a lot of people who reach out to me and say, hey, you know, I've, I've been trying for years. Mm-hmm. And I'm not getting pregnant. And I always tell them I'm not a doctor. Right. Um, I can only tell you my experiences. But if it's been that long, you probably should go to a doctor and see professional assistance. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, they say after nine months or a year trying that you should be seeking out some sort of help. Right. Um, and in terms of advocating for yourself, you know, everyone at the fertility clinic that I go to, they all know me. They're all super nice. They're all super sweet because I've been right. there for so long. Um, and one day my sister came with me and she was like, why does everyone know your name? I'm like, because I've been here for like five years. I'm a veteran, sis. <laughs> She's like, this is weird. Why is everyone coming to talk to you? I was like, I've been here for a long time. Yeah. Um, and, and so luckily for me, like I feel like I've, had that support with mm-hmm. my fertility one has been nice everyone's been supportive you know on days we're doing transfers they come back and hug me mm-hmm. and say you know praying for you mm-hmm. or you know whatever words of encouragement mm-hmm. they can give mm-hmm. they always do and so 
that always helps. But just in terms of advocating, I would say ask questions. Yeah. Um, one of the biggest questions you need to ask up front is how much is this going to cost? Because that's the first thing I ask. As soon as I sat down, what is, how much is this going to cost me? Right. You know, what can, what can you do? What can you offer me? And my husband's a veteran. I said, can you give us a military discount? What can you give? Mm. And they did. Um, at least while they were a private company, they right. did. Um, and so I would just say ask as many questions as you can because it's your body. And if something isn't working, you just say, hey, you know, we've been doing this for a while. Um, we need to move on to plan B. Right. You know, don't always just leave it up to your fertility specialist to come out and point. We should move on to the next thing. If you feel like this isn't working and your body is becoming exhausted from doing the same thing over and over again, you know, say to them, hey, why don't we try something else? Because I don't want to do this anymore. Right. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. Lastly, what what should partners know in order to be supportive? I, you know, watching the series, you know, I think that, you know, the partner seems very, you know, very sweet. He has good intentions, mm-hmm. but, you know, mm-hmm. the main character is still very, like, frustrated. And I know yeah. sometimes partners don't always put their best foot forward. And, you know, we I think mm-hmm. I've seen situations where partners are blaming or, like, you know, like... I know there's always Mm -hmm. just last week on, on the podcast, we were talking about abortion and I feel like people have this stigma with Mm -hmm. like, you know, if you didn't do that thing or had made those terrible decisions in your twenties, like we wouldn't be here. So what, what tips do you give to partners so that they are the most supportive in the, in this, these situations? Yeah, I think it's always different for men because no one ever comes to them with questions. Mm. No one ever says to them, even if you're at a dinner table with family, they're going to look at you mm-hmm. and say, when you guys having kids, they're not going to look at him and say, when you guys have, when you two having kids. So I feel like in terms of a support system, you know, the husband or whoever your partner is, they right. can say, you know, well, here's the deal. You know, we're trying, and I, we, I would appreciate if you would stop asking my wife questions. Okay. You know, just just something to defend, you know, the spouse so that she doesn't feel isolated and feel like every time you guys go somewhere, all the questions are on her. And I've, I've known people who, where the men is the, is the one with the fertility issue solely, mm. and they're still bombarded with questions, and the guy says nothing. Right. <laughs> Why they're getting asked, because they don't want people to know it's them, gotcha. so they don't say anything. Mm. And I just feel like, you know, that men can be more supportive, or your partner, or your spouse, or whoever can be more supportive if they jump in while you're being assaulted with questions, bombarded with questions, and say, hey, we're not talking about that today, or hey, you know, um, lay off my wife, you know, we're working or we're trying to have children, whatever you want to say, just jump in and defend her. So she's not the only person sitting there feeling like she's being assaulted at dinner (laughs) or lunch or holidays with all these questions and has to deal with it by herself. Right. Um, And of course, emotionally, like we deal with things differently than men do. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying they don't get sad about it, that they may not cry about the issues, but, you know, we deal with things different emotionally. So if we're acting crazy one day, just give us a pass. You know, (laughs) just say, you understand, like my wife is going through a lot Mm -hmm. or my wife is dealing on on hormones and different things. You can just be supportive in that way. You know, say I'm going to, you know, send you and your friends out to dinner or get you a spa treatment or anything, Mm -hmm. anything you can do to help to be encouraging and help to be 
supportive so that, you know, we don't get down in the dumps <laughs> is a benefit. Right. So anything you can do that's positive will help. Absolutely. Absolutely. This conversation has taught me, I mean, has brought up so many things for me. I think, of course, one, the the class, the class and social and money issues that come up here yeah. and who can afford to have a baby and who may not be able to afford to have a baby. I think even things, mm-hmm. I mean, this is for a topic for another time, but like even things with, it sounds, I think it's great that you have a facility that treats you with respect and care in light of so yeah, many, definitely. so many, um, you know, reports that are coming about, coming out about racism in healthcare and how black women are mm-hmm. treated when they're, they are delivering, dying in delivery, but mm-hmm. also just yeah. like the way mm-hmm. that we take care of just black women and people of color who are trying to access healthcare. And I also think about, for me, what's coming up is like people who are not traditionally feminine or people who are trans Mm -hmm. and having babies, like how are they navigating Mm -hmm. these systems and who do they talk to when they're dealing with infertility issues? Because everybody might be looking at you like, you're a man, like why why are you trying to have a baby? (laughs) And, you know, they're dealing with stigma and and with the stigma and people shaming them for, you know, doing, doing everything that's within their right to have their family. Mm -hmm. And so thank you so much for, you know, coming on and and just, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to sit with this for a while because I think it's just, it's, it's like you're saying, it's just things that we don't think about things that don't get talked about. And then of course, things that are never talked about because we only want to know when people are having babies, not how they're having them, if they're emotionally mm-hmm. ready, if they even have the support systems to have one. So exactly. thank you. Exactly. So lots, lots going on. <laughs> so my last question, where can listeners find you? Do you have any upcoming events and how can we support your work? Sure. You can go to my website, mm-hmm. Um uh, we are in the process of trying to shoot the next four episodes. Yes. We needed the funding that we needed. Yes. yes. We needed the funding that we needed. So if you would like to donate or support, you can go to my website and do that um, under the Weatherfield page. You can also find me on Instagram at Sinhara Eastman and at, uh, on Instagram at Black Girls Guide to Fertility as well. Um, in terms of upcoming projects, it would be the four episodes that we're desperately trying to get done. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, so yeah, people can support that by just donating, uh, to help us to meet the goal to get everything done. Absolutely. And I'll put all of that information in the show notes so y'all can donate and watch the episodes that are up. They're super powerful and you know, there's great, great filming and all of those big words that people use in the biz. So (laughs) great lighting. And if you're you're in, if you're in Miami, you can see the project at the ABFF. Uh, Black Film Festival. Um, it'll be showing there in June at Regal Cinema. Get that so, out! Yeah, I'll love. there too. <laughs> love, love, love. All right, Sanhara, <laughs> how do you build your vagisteem? So, vagisteem was a term that I coined <laughs> a few years ago when I created this platform. <laughs> and basically, I believe <laughs> that if folks um, have good self-esteem or good vagina esteem, they are more likely to take mm-hmm. care of themselves and more likely to have conversations about their vagina and vulvas. And they're also willing to bring pleasure to those areas as well. So how do you build your vagina mm-hmm. esteem? 
Yes, they're actually very interesting questions because going through infertility, you have pretty low self esteem. Mm-hmm. That's why I think <laughs> this is this is this is why I wanted to ask this. <laughs> you have you and you're pretty sad down there. Yeah, and you're just like, okay, well, I feel like my vagina's broken. Mm. Something's wrong with it. Mm. You know, something's wrong with me. And so I feel like for years I had low <laughs> bad esteem. Yes, um, but. I feel like I've been empowered um, as a woman um, and as an activist just by sharing my story, even when people told me not to share because I didn't have success. No, you don't have children, you're not successful, so you shouldn't share your story. Um, So I feel like I've I've built uh, confidence through that, um, and I feel more confident as a woman uh, just because I've come out um, and shared my story with other people. Sanhara, that was a beautiful answer. Thank you so much for sharing that. And thank you so much for being on. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you. Awesome.